Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, my name is Francis, and welcome to the New Books Network. Today, I have with me Bart Ehrman, a distinguished professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the author, among other books, of Armageddon, What the Bible Really Says About the End. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. The book focuses on the, the book of Revelation. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, what actually goes on in the book of Revelation. Well, I, you know, the thing is, most people don't read the book because it's too weird and bizarre and they can't make heads or tails of it. But it's actually, it's um, if you have somebody explain it to you who actually has a sense of how it works, it's not that difficult. The book is basically about a, a set of visions that a prophet uh, named John uh, records. He is taken up into the heavenly realm in order to see what's going to happen uh, at the end of the world, which he thinks is coming very soon. Um, he um, he sees God on a throne who is holding a scroll in his hand, and the scroll is sealed with seven seals. <laughs> and uh, and so there there and then he sees this Lamb of God who's who's been slain. This is represented representative of Christ. Who takes the scroll and starts breaking the the seals? the The scroll ends up being revealing what's going to happen in the course of history, and they start they start happening. And so he breaks these seven seals, and there's catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe on the earth. When he breaks the seventh seal, it leads to seven angels who have trumpets. They each blow a trumpet. Disaster after disaster after disaster hits the earth. Blows the seventh trumpet, and then you're introduced to seven uh, angels carrying bowls of God's wrath that they pour out one at a time on the earth. Disaster after disaster after disaster. And then finally, there's a final... um, So basically, God is, is, um, is exhibiting his wrath against the world because it is uh, a sinful place and the only people who are going to be saved are the uh the followers of jesus uh and at the end there's a big battle the battle of armageddon where all of the armies of the earth are destroyed and then god brings in a new kingdom on earth for his slaves the followers of jesus uh, and they inherit then this this amazing city of gold with gates of pearl and uh all the others are are wiped out and then the uh, followers of jesus rule the world for all time <laughs> that's the book of revelation <laughs> intense yeah it's intense yeah who so who was who who wrote the book who was john of patmos yeah well all we know about john of patmos is basically what's in the book um the book uh the book had difficulty making it into the new testament because um, there were people who said it was written by Jesus' disciple, John, the son of Zebedee, who also, was, was also thought to have written the Gospel of John. And people who thought that thought, well, it should be in the Bible because it's written by one of Jesus' disciples. There are others who said, actually, it can't be written by the same author as the Gospel of John. The writing style is, is, is completely different, and they have, it has a different point of view. And, it's, and so they didn't want it in the they didn't want it in the Bible, and so uh, we don't know. We don't know who this John is. John was a common name uh, among Jews in the first century. He's on the island of Patmos, which is a small island off of the west coast of Turkey, and um, he says that he's there because he's being uh, because he's suffering the uh, uh, he, he's suffering a tribulation or 
a problem, persecution problem or something because of the testimony of Jesus. And so we're not quite sure what, what his situation is, but he's living on this small island of Patmos and he's writing this thing. We, we have the only things we can know about him. We have to infer from the writing. Uh, one thing we can infer is that, um, has to do with the writing itself. He's not a very good writer. <laughs> he makes he actually makes grammatical mistakes. It's it's the worst Greek of the New Testament. It's written in Greek, like the other books of the New Testament. Um, scholars have sometimes thought that it's because his original language would would have been Aramaic, uh, the language of of Israel at the time, um, and that Greek is a second language, which is why he doesn't write it very well. I I used to think that. Now I just think, yeah, no, he just can't write very well. <laughs> I mean, most people can't. And back then, hardly anybody could write at all. And so he's he's much more highly educated than ninety eight percent of the world. But uh, he's not uh, he's not a cultural elite. He's not a sort of high level author. So even despite the the poor grammar, do you think people in John of Patmos's day were like, what is going on, or was it? a literary or was it a genre that they would have understood better back then yeah i i think the problem is that today when people pick it up um they if they pick it up they they read it in one of two ways today and it's precisely because they don't understand what the genre is one way that people read it is they especially people who are committed evangelical bible believing christians they tend to read it in order to find clues about what's going to happen in our own future and so they're they're picking this verse and that verse and they're not reading it as an entire text from beginning to end to try to understand it in its own genre and historical context other people pick it up who are not Bible-believing Christians. They just kind of interested in seeing what it says, and they can't make heads or tails of it. <laughs> and so, so those are the, the two main options. Um, historians have long recognized that it is, in fact, a, a genre. It's within a genre of writing, and the genre scholars have called just called apocalypse. Uh, and we have other apocalypses from the time in both Jewish and Christian circles. And so what historical scholars do is they read these other apocalypses and try to understand how the genre works. And it's like anything else. If you don't know how the genre works, you're not going to understand it. And um, so with my students, I, I compare it to like if, if, if you take a, just a modern science fiction novel and you send it back to the 18th century and have somebody, you know, in the 1740s read it, they have no idea what in the world is this? It's like they couldn't make heads or tails of it. And it's because they don't know the genre. We read a science fiction novel. We know exactly how it works. And, you know, it's not surprising. It's just we can evaluate whether it's any good or not. But, we, you know, we have no problem with the genre. The apocalypse genre um uh is like that if you're not used to it then it, you if you get just one example of it <laughs> and you just have one example in the, in the new testament then it just seems just completely out of this world but i think um i think almost certainly people at the time who were accustomed to this kind of genre would have been able to understand uh pretty much how it works and would have understood a lot of the weird symbolism in it as, in it as well how can you spot an apocalyptic story is yeah. what's characteristic of the genre yeah so that's that's the key question and um in this uh, for this genre um 
genre uh, are always books by uh, by um, holy people, people of somebody, a special person before God, historically, usually. Uh, usually they're pseudonymous. The author claims to be a famous person from the Jewish past, usually, or Christian past. They The person is given visions um, where they either see heaven itself, which is revealing the secrets that, that make sense of the earth down below. And so the, the heavenly realm explains why what's happening down here is happening. Or they have a sim series of symbolic visions of what's going to transpire in the future. Uh, and so it's either a heavenly journey or a historical kind of sketch, prophetic historical sketch. And some books combine the two. The book of Revelation actually combines the those those two aspects. The uh, the visions are bizarre with weird uh, weird animals and horrifying scenes and catastrophes and um, all connected with what heaven's doing to make things miserable down here on earth. Um, the symbolism is normally explained to the author who also can't make heads or tails of it, but usually there's some angel standing by <laughs> who will explain what's happening and, and what it's about. And the trick for understanding these apocalypses is to pay attention to the interpretation that it's given. Uh, the interpretation itself is never self-explaining, but it usually gives you all the hints you need if you're paying careful attention and you know enough about the historical context. And so what happens in these things is typically it's showing that even though the world is a mess down here, in fact, and in fact, it's going to get worse and worse, ultimately God is sovereign and he has a plan and it's all going according to plan. And at the end, it's all going to work out for those who are the true followers of God, whoever they are. And that might be, you know, a handful of people <laughs> or it might be some people. It's rarely the entire human race. So since it's, um, conception, have Christians always applied, have, have different generations of Christians always applied this specific book to their own generation? Uh, some have, yeah, uh, throughout, I mean, th you know, from the beginning, because John, the, uh, the author himself insists that these visions of what's going to happen on earth are going to come soon. Um, he says it six times in the last chapter, <laughs> and so it's emphatic, it's happening soon. And of course, none of these things did happen that are described in the book. Um, and so there have always been Christians who have said, well, he means soon for us. And that is that's become the typical interpretation today among Bible-believing Christians is that, that this is describing what's going to happen in the 21st century. Um, they said that in the 20th century, <laughs> and they said in the 19th century, in the 18th century, and all the way back. For most of history, that was not the normal way of reading uh, the book of Revelation. For most of Christian history, since about the fourth century or so, readers believed that the things described in the book either had happened already or were happening in their own own day, that they weren't predictions of the future, uh, let alone predictions about the 21st century. Um, this idea that it that it is predicting what's going to happen soon, uh, you hear people in, you know, conservative Christians today saying that the signs are now at last being fulfilled, the prophecies are coming true, it's right around the corner. Um, that interpretation that's widespread among groups of Christians today is uh, was was not held 
throughout throughout most of most of the Christian church, but it's become such a part of fundamentalist Christianity that even people who aren't Christian today assume that's what the book's about, that it's talking about our future. And it's it's absolutely not. And historians know that it's it's historians are pretty clear on this one that the John of Patmos who wrote this thing was writing for his own audience. And he he tells us who he's writing for. There's seven Christian churches in Asia Minor that he's addressing this to. And he knows these churches, these people in the churches, and he's writing for them. And it's pretty clear he means that this is a message for them, not for people living 2,000 years later. What is the message he's trying to send to the to those churches? Yeah, well, he's telling the churches they better shape up or they're going to be wiped out with everyone else. <laughs> the book is really about how the world gets wiped out. I mean, it's it's a very gory, bloody book. And it's a, the book itself says that it's about the wrath of God against the world and against the people in it. And so a horrifying suffering takes place on earth. And the book actually, after um, after the introductory chapter where John introduces himself and says that he has this vision of Christ, um, before he goes up into the heavenly realm in chapter four, Christ dictates seven letters to him. This is in chapters two and three. He dictates a letter to each of the seven churches of Asia Minor, Turkey, that he's addressing. And so it's churches like, you know, um, Thyatira and Smyrna and uh, you know, Ephesus. These are cities and they've got churches in them. And he directs a church to each of these, uh, a letter to each of these churches. And Christ tells them, um, that, you know, there's some things they're doing well, but there's some things they're not doing well at all, and they better shape up or they're going to lose their salvation and they're going to have it just as bad as the most rank pagan. <laughs> like like these others, they're going to be tossed living into a lake of burning sulfur at the end and, you know, they'll be destroyed. So uh, he's trying. part of it is he's trying to explain what's going to happen at the end so that these these followers of Jesus get back and become more faithful to the, to to what they're supposed to be doing. So you're pretty emphatic that the book should be read in its specific historical context, that the predictions that um, John is making are, are very grounded in the time that he's living in, yeah. in, in, the, in the Roman um, Empire. Yeah. Yeah. I am pretty emphatic about that. <laughs> and it's, it's not just, you know, of course, it's not just my view. It's the common view among historical scholars, whether they're Christian or not. A lot of the good scholars, best scholarship on this is written by, by Christians who are just, you know, they're historians. They understand how this genre works, uh, but they're not fundamentalists. And if you actually read the book carefully, it's quite clear who the enemy of God is, the a figure that uh, I think most people call the Antichrist, even though the term Antichrist does not appear uh, in the book of Revelation. But there's a there there's an organized enemy of God, and the author makes it really clear that it is the city uh, and empire of Rome, uh, and that Roman emperor is the big enemy, and the empire is the enemy, and that God's going to wipe them out. Um, one way to think about this is that when, when today you have fundamentalists who say, uh, you know, the time is being fulfilled, just read the headlines, these prophecies are happening now, and it's going to happen very soon, they're not talking to people living 2,000 years from now, they're talking to the people in their own day. Well, John, on whom they're basing these ideas, was also talking to people in his own day. <laughs> And they don't—they don't realize that, but it's—it's it's quite clear historically that's what's going on. His enemy is Rome, 
uh, and you think God's going to wipe it out. So does reading the book of Revelation from this fundamentalist futurist perspective have an effect on the way that one conducts themselves today? Uh, yeah, it does. And it's, uh, I have, I, I spent a good bit of time with that in my book, uh, um, because the, um, the idea that Jesus is coming back soon to take his followers out of the world, the, the, uh, the fundamentalist understanding of that is called the rapture. The rapture is Jesus comes back. He, he takes his followers out of the world before all these disasters hit. That idea is not found in the book of Revelation, period. It's not there. Uh, it's, it's been imported into Revelation. And in fact, it's nowhere in the entire Bible. I, I try to show that in my book. We actually know when this idea started this idea of a rapture it started in 1833 <laughs> we know who and where and when <laughs> we know everything about it but people ignore that but they say oh no it's in the bible but they're they're misreading these passages um but it seriously affects things in ways that you wouldn't expect for i mean for one thing it's caused a lot of psychological damage to people and emotional damage i since I wrote this book, I've been getting emails from all sorts of people saying, oh my God, yeah, I, when I was a kid, I heard about this rapture and it just terrified me and it's really messed me up. I'm still messed up because of it. So you get that kind of thing. But in my, a lot of that kind of thing. But in, in my book, I, I show that it's bigger than that. It isn't just people who were raised as fundamentalists. It's, uh, it actually has led to um, very serious damage, uh, sometimes uh, slaughter, uh, people being being killed uh the whole thing with david koresh the waco disaster 30 years ago was rooted in david koresh's understanding that the end was coming soon because of his interpretation of the book of revelation it was rooted in his misinterpretation of revelation but more than that um these interpretations of revelation as coming true soon have affected american foreign policy I mean, who would have thought that but um but in fact uh, because evangelicals are so gung-ho on this idea, these ideas that they claim to find in Revelation, um, they think that for prophecy to be fulfilled, uh, Israel has to have uh, complete control of uh, the land, the promised land. You have to, you can't have Palestinian territories there. It's got to be controlled by Israel, and they and these people believe that they that um, that Israel has to take over the Temple Mount where there are now Islamic holy sites in Jerusalem, and they have to take down the Temple of the Rock, the Temple, the Dome of the, the Dome of the Rock, which is where the ancient temple, Jewish temple was, because in this view, the temple has to be rebuilt. And uh, you can't rebuild it when there's another building there. And so you have to take out one of Islam's most precious holy sites. <laughs> yeah, well, that that could lead to the disasters. <laughs> it could lead to World War III pretty quickly. And so anyway, so I, I explain like a number of things, including, by the, by the way, a burning planet. People who believe that Jesus is coming back soon are not, they, they're shown. I mean, it's absolutely do well documented that evangelicals, as a rule, do not have a, um, have a high priority for controlling climate change, because what's the point? The end's coming. And so, uh, yeah, so, you know, there are all sorts of ways we might destroy ourselves and people who believe that Jesus is coming back soon based on a misinterpretation of revelation are, you know, might bring it about. <laughs>
And it would not be good. So it's not just the the personal or the individual psychological effect. There's also structural and societal effects that come from yeah. come from this reading of the book of Re- Revelation. Yeah, and it's you know, and so that's why. So so my book Armageddon is is meant to not just show you know, yeah, this is an idea that's just wrong. You know, it'd be better if you didn't think that. It's it's really serious for everyone because this misunderstanding of the Bible has very serious social and political implications. It uh, and it affects huge things. It you know who would have thought it? It affected the the move of uh, the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That was in support of evangelicals who want Israel to have a. a a stronger hand and are very much behind um, American support of Israel. And in, in my book, I don't, I absolutely do not take a stand on the Israeli Palestinian issue. You know, I'm not at all arguing one way or the other on that, but I am very interested in the his, history. Why do evangelicals so strongly support Israel at the same time? that they hate Jews. <laughs> they say they don't hate Jews, but they, you know, they think all Jews are going straight to hell, but they want to, but they, they want to support Israel. It's because Israel for them is a fulfillment of prophecy, whatever Jews happen to think. And Israeli politicians have recognized that since the 1970s, uh, when they realized, man, there's sure are a lot more American evangelicals than there are American Jews. We, we should go for the American evangelicals. And they started doing it with Menachem Begin and then I mean, yeah, and so on down till today. Um, Ronald Reagan was also influenced by evangelicalism, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. He was. Um, he was taken with this. Uh, there was a fellow named Hal Lindsey who wrote a book uh, in 1970 called "The Late Great Planet Earth." Um, many people will not have heard of this book, but uh, it was the best-selling book of nonfiction in the entire decade of the 1970s. <laughs> I mean, of any book, not religious book. I mean, outside the Bible, there were more copies of this thing sold than any other book. And so it was a, made a big splash. And he was predicting, Hal Lindsey, who's still going strong today, uh, and, well, he's not going that strong, he's very old, but he still has a radio program. In 1970, he was predicting, uh, based on his interpretation of the Bible, that Jesus was coming back before 1988. Um, and... Um, and that after Jesus came back, uh, there was going to be a crisis in the Middle East um, where Israel was going to take over the Temple Mount, and then an Arab state was going, to, uh, a coalition of Arab states was going to attack Israel, and then the European Commonwealth, a ten-nation European Commonwealth, was going to to come in support of Israel, and then uh, Russia would get involved, and then China would get involved. The bombs would go, and right before we blow ourselves off the planet, Jesus would come back, and for the last time, and so. Uh, Reagan was really taken with this, and so was his his Secretary of Defense, Casper Weinberger, and they they you know they thought Bible's teaching this, <laughs> the nuclear bombs are going to fly, and boy, that's not a comforting thought for your uh, commander in chief. Terrifying. <laughs> so, I mean, he didn't. You know, it wasn't that he wanted it to happen like under his watch or anything, but he really did think. Apparently, he didn't really thought it was going to happen. Hey. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> right. So. The book of Revelation is a book of vengeance and violence. It's not a book of a book of love and mercy. Should we understand it as an account of one side of a multifarious God? Mm. Or should we understand it? Sh- or should we 
try to disengage it from our understanding of of the true God. Yeah, right. Well, it kind of depends on what your religious perspectives are, I think. Um, what I would say is that um, most most people misunderstand revelation, not only those who are fundamentalists or who are influenced by fundamentalists to think that it's predicting what's going to happen soon. That's, that's just understanding it incorrectly, I think. But the other side of the interpretation spectrum historically for the last hundred years or so has been that it's not about the predictions of the future. It's about providing hope for people who are suffering. Uh, that's a common way of reading it, especially among more liberal Christians. And it's what I taught for years and years. Uh, even when I wasn't a Christian, I, I would teach that the book is really trying to provide hope for those who are who are suffering now, because it's saying that in the end, God's going to make it all right, and that he's going to destroy the evil in the world and bring in, make it all good again. And so I thought, well, that's a hopeful message. But when I started really studying it again. I mean, I've studied the book for 50 years, but I mean, when I started really digging into it for this book, I, I came to think, you know, that's just not right. It's not right. It's not a book of hope. The word hope does not occur in the book of Revelation. Never. doesn't show up. The phrase love of God never appears in the book of Revelation. God isn't said to love anybody in this book. He's said to be angry. <laughs> the words are not hope and love and per, you know mercy and peace and justice. The words are, the main words are words like vengeance and uh, revenge and wrath and blood and violence. And it's like, oh, that's what the book's about. Um, and so it, with in response to your question, you know, people often tell me, that um, they, you know, people who haven't really kind of dug into the Bible much, but they've just heard this, that the Old Testament is a God, has a God of wrath and the New Testament has a God of love. And, you know, they prefer the God of love. Well, that's great. I say, but, but when they tell me that, I say, you know, if you think the New Testament's God of love, have you, have you read the book of Revelation lately? <laughs> you talk about wrath, <laughs> far more wrathful than anything in the Old Testament. And moreover, the God of the Old Testament is also a God of love. Um, and so, you know, love your neighbors yourself. That's the Old Testament. And so um, you could say, as you're putting it, that maybe God, you know, maybe God's multifaceted. You know, he's both a loving God and he's a just God and he he uh, shows mercy to people and he is uh, and he shows wrath upon people. And maybe maybe it's both things. Uh, and that's certainly one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that different authors have different understandings of God and that these are not, it's not the same God. <laughs> my, at the end of, at the end of Armageddon, at the end of my book, I, I contrast what I, what is John's portrayal of God and Christ as wrathful and vengeful and hating their enemies um, with the teachings of the man Jesus himself in the Gospels, uh, that the Jesus, the Christ of Revelation does not seem like the Jesus of the Gospels at all. And I make a case that, in fact, they're very, very different. And that Jesus, who says to turn the other cheek and to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you, is not the Christ of Revelation who's out for blood. Uh, I think it's actually a very different portrayal. And that it isn't, an, it isn't like two sides of a coin. It's really an either or. And that people who are interested in, whether they're Christian or not, but they're interested, say, in teaching, following the ethical teachings of Jesus, um, that you have to decide, you know, are you going to be 
kind of the the out for blood vengeful type who joins god in wiping out your enemies <laughs> or are you going to be the kind of the loving merciful type who tries to work for peace it, they're different portrayals i think so if we're not going to be reading the book of Re- revelation as prophecy and it also doesn't really offer a positive or constructive understanding of god can we st- does it offer any relevance to readers in our day or what what can we get out of the book of revelation at this point uh, i think i think we can get a lot out of it and i i it's a, it's an amazing book i mean i you know i you know i i started out as a christian and i was a very conservative evangelical christian very committed christian and i i loved the bible and now um for a variety of reasons, not really related to my scholarship. I'm not a Christian at all. I'm an atheist, but I still love the Bible. I think it's great. And the book of Revelation, I think is great, but oh my God, <laughs> you know, I do not see it as representative of reality or of ultimate truth at all, but it's use, It's a useful book because you can see, um, you can see a lot about religion in that book. In the modern world, uh, in our American context, there are a lot of Christians who are much more fond of the view of God in Revelation than they are fond of the God portrayed by Jesus. Um, and so if you if you happen to be somebody who is, um, you know, just a complete white nationalist who's out to kind of wipe out everybody who's not, you know, like you, uh, Revelation's the book for you. <laughs> that's, that's good for you. But, you know, the rest of us think, yeah, I don't know. That isn't really, that isn't, kind of representation of truth that I want to support. Uh, and so um, I think it's valuable for that reason. I think the Bible is full of various views of God. The New Testament is filled with various views of Christ. And the um, recognizing that allows you to interpret each of these books for what it has to say, rather than assuming that it's saying the same thing as every other book. Uh, and it also then gives you a choice. You know, what, how do you want to model your life and how do you under, want to understand ultimate truth and ultimate reality? Uh, because here are some options in front of you that people have held as sacred and you can decide as well. So why do you think that it has proven so seductive to each generation to think of themselves as the final generation and to think that the apocalypse must be happening to us? Obviously, we're the end of the road. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's all about me, baby. <laughs> all of history's come down to me. <laughs> and if not to me personally, at least to my generation, you know, oh, aren't we the lucky ones? We're living at the end. And then you find out, yeah, it's actually talking about the Roman Empire and how it's going to be just, well, that's disappointing. You know, who's going to read that book? Why? Who cares? Another failed prophecy. But if it's about us, then it makes us, it makes us important. It makes us significant. It makes the headline news um, less frightening because it's been predicted. Right. It makes it uh, a fulfillment of divine providence. Uh, it means, and it means that you can rest assured that God really is sovereign. You've got uh, you've got massive starvation in the world. You've got uh, earthquakes. Uh, you've got fires. You've got flooding. You've got uh, international. Uh, you've got invasions of other countries. You got superpowers fighting it out. Uh, either actually or kind of behind the scenes, and it's all predicted. This is what was supposed to happen, and if we just hold on a while longer, God's going to make it right. 
And so it provides solace and hope and uh, comfort for people, even if in the end, it's a wrong reading of Revelation, and it's one that can lead to a lot of damage. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Well, um, we are running out of time. I just wanted to ask you before we go, um, is there anything else that you're working on right now that we should look out for in the future? Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm actually, um, the, this, the, this book on Armageddon uh, made me think a lot more about um, certain aspects of the teachings of Jesus, uh, the historical Jesus, the man himself. And it's hard to get back to the teachings of the man, Jesus, because what we have are gospels that were written decades later by people who didn't know him. And they're, they're putting their own spin on it based on their own, on their own beliefs. This is fairly standard uh, historical understandings of the, of the new Testament, but I'm interested in the man, Jesus, and especially his, his ethics, because he too, he too thought like John of Patmos, he too thought that the end was coming soon and that people needed to prepare for it. And a lot of, I think his entire ethical teachings, his, his moral teachings are rooted in the idea that you better shape up soon because, you know, you could be in trouble here. Uh, and I think it's very different from the view of of John, the way Jesus does it, very, very different from John. But uh, his ethics are rooted in that, and his ethics are very radical. Uh, I don't know anybody, I literally don't know anybody who follows Jesus' teachings. And Christians are going to think I'm crazy for saying that, and they think I'm crazy anyway, but but I really don't, because he, he was very radical. And so my, um, and he was radical because he really thought the end was coming soon, and that's to affect how you behave. It, but his his junk injunctions for how to behave are still applicable. He thought that what really mattered was not what you personally believe. It's not believing in him. It's not um, it's it's not um, it's not what we think of as like really conservative fundamentalist Christianity or anything like that. It's helping people who are in need and doing everything for those who are needy now because that's what God is concerned about. So Jesus picked this up from the Old Testament, from the, his Jewish tradition, but he radicalized it, and it ended up making a huge difference in society. So my next book is about the radical ethics of Jesus, why nobody follows them, but why they also just made the most enormous difference in society. Christians invented hospitals. They invented orphanages. They, you know, Christians started thinking they had to, you know, they needed to take care of people in need, and that was, that was a weirdly, that was an innovation. So that's what my next book is about. <laughs> well, I can't wait to read it. It sounds very Thanks. fascinating. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it.